The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. The Bible says in Luke chapter 2, beginning of verse number 1, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. We're going to continue the story in uh, verse number 25. We're going to pick it up from Simeon's perspective eight days later. The Bible says in verse number 25, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. This morning, pastor is going to continue the series, The Thrill of Hope. And let me be the first to say Merry Christmas. I hope that uh, many of you uh, have the opportunity of getting together with family this week and making some great memories. And we are excited uh, just to gather together as a church family as we celebrate really the true reason for the season. Uh, I want to say thanks to those of you uh, who kind of gave a shout out to us for my wife and I's anniversary. Uh, It's good to be back. We got to take a couple days away and uh, now uh, back here in Fresno. We're looking forward to it. We have now uh, been married for 12 years and so we're excited about that and uh, it's gone well. So hey, thank you very much. We appreciate that. We love you guys and appreciate your prayers and support. And so we're just, uh, just excited about what God has for the next 12 years. And so we're looking forward to it and uh, looking forward to what God has even for us today. Uh, just for the sake of time, let's just dive right into it. Pastor Nick already read the text to give us a little bit of the background. And so let me just give us a little bit of context and then we'll dive into just kind of our main theme this morning. For thousands of years, Israel had awaited their promised Messiah. Now, for those of you who are new to church world, the Messiah would literally be, literally God born as a human being. And for centuries, Jewish prophets had foretold of this coming Messiah who would come to save all of humanity. Literally, generations of Israelites came and and went, uh, but their hope for a Savior never once diminished. You see, the Messiah was the hope of Israel, the Messiah is the hope for all Christians, and the Messiah continues to be the hope of all the world even today. If you received a service program that you should have got on your way in, you can follow along, but I want you to notice verse number 25 as we move our way through the text. Notice what it says here in verse number 25, and behold... There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. 
It goes on to tell us here, and the same man was just, he was devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. Notice what it says here. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he see the Lord's Christ. So the Holy Spirit came to him and said, Simeon, I know for generations after generations, for hundreds of years, the prophets have been foretelling about this Messiah who's going to come and rescue and save humanity. And the Holy Spirit said to Simeon, he said, I'm going to give you some hope. You're not going to die until your physical eyes lay hold on this Messiah, the Christ child. You see uh, here, the word Simeon means he who hears, he who hears. And uh, we see this kind of really demonstrated here by one who was listening to the Holy Spirit, one who had been given much hope. This man had been told by God that he would personally meet this long-awaited Messiah, which brings us here to our first thought this morning, and that is simply this. I want you to see hope declared. Hope declared. You see, just like God promised hope to Simeon, God through his word has also promised hope to you and I as well. And I want to remind you here today, based on the authority of the Word of God, uh, that the greatest days of your life are still in front of you. I know it's easy to think as you look around the political landscape, as you take the opportunity maybe uh, to look with some struggles you're going through, and, and it might be easy to conclude that Your best days are behind you. But with Christ, with the Spirit of God, literally the best is still yet to come. Now, your circumstances might not give you reasons to hope. Your finances might not give you reasons to hope. For some of you, your health condition might not give you reason to hope. Your spouse may not give you reason to hope. Your kids may not give you reason to hope. Your neighborhood, your family, your marriage, your future may not give you reason to hope. Some of you might look around at the political landscape and and that might not give you reason to hope. You might look at the financial markets and, and that might not conjure up hope for you. You might look at our nation's educational system or the national security threats that exist in the world today. You might look to the global instability or the ballooning racial divide. And as you look to those things, those things might not give you reasons to hope. But I want to remind you today, with God, there is always reason to hope in Christ. I think they'll throw this on the screens, but true hope at its essence is a form of divine trust. Why is that? It demonstrates to God that we believe he is in control even in the dark times and that he is working all things, the hard, uh, the good, that he's working it all together for his glory and for our good. This is why the psalmist is able to boldly declare in Psalms 38 and verse number 15, for in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Do I hope. How many of you are familiar with the term uh, spoiler or maybe spoiler alert? You know what I'm talking about, you know, and and maybe it's a football game or maybe it's a movie and you don't want somebody to tell you uh, what's going to happen next. And, and so sometimes people will say, hey, it's a spoiler or a spoiler alert. 
I remember growing up, my dad was a massive Green Bay Packers fan. Some of you guys uh, who know my dad, uh, you would know this about him. Just a massive uh, Green Bay Packers fan. And he had a kind of a tradition when a game was being played on Sunday morning while we were all in church, back before TiVo and before you could kind of record and some of the ways you can today, uh, he would literally put one of those VC cassette type things and he would play the football game and, and then he'd cover, uh, you know, that uh, area and he'd get all ready, you know, and then when he would come home, I literally had these memories in my mind of my dad with a blanket, literally screaming at the top of his lungs because he didn't want to hear what was happening if the game wasn't over yet. And he'd be yelling, running through the house, taking this blanket, and then he would throw it over the TV so he wouldn't get a spoiler. You know, he didn't want to know what was going to happen. And that was literally his way of keeping from knowing the scores. Well, I remember on one occasion, uh, he was at church and uh, uh, one of the guys was kind of listening to the game and my dad didn't want to know what was going on and, and so, but they were teasing with him a little bit, you know, it's what's going to happen. He just, it was, it would just, the bothered him to no end. And I remember on one occasion, one of the guys, he said to him something along this lines, he says, hey, I won't tell you what's going to happen, but I just want to say, it's all going to be good. It's all going to be good. And literally, in a subtle way, this guy was saying to my dad, hey, I'm not going to tell you what happens, but in the end, you guys win. And in much the same way, when it comes to your life, I, I don't want to be the one who spoils the ending for you, but I really do want you to know, with God, everything is going to be okay. It's going to work out. Because God is in control. I want you to notice verse number 29 here in our passage. You'll see that a lot of years goes by from the time where Simeon here hears about what's happening and the time where it actually is fulfilled in Christ. Many years. The Bible says here in verse number 29 that he was up in years. He was a man who was getting ready to die. According to verse number 37, there's another character by the name of Anna. She's actually 84 years old. And so from the time where Simeon was told of this great hope that there was in Christ to the time where he physically with his eyes saw the Messiah, some time had lapsed. And yet the reality is this, hope is only hope when kind of time stretches out. The reality is this, we only need hope in those seasons where things feel hopeless. Notice what the Bible says here in verse number 29. Now, let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. Notice verse 30. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. You see, God did not just declare hope to Simeon. It'd be one thing for God to come along and say, hey, there's going to be hope. A Messiah is coming. It was an entirely other thing to actually deliver that hope. And I want to say to you here today, not only do we see hope declared in this passage, but I want you to notice second of all today, I want you to see hope delivered. Just like God came through on his promise to Simeon, God has come through on his promise for you. He's not going to leave you hanging. In his word, he declares that there is hope in Christ. And it might be in regards to your health situation. It might be in regards to your finances. But I want to say to you today that there is hope in Christ. 
There is hope in Him. And that hope is not just something that is declared. That hope is not empty. It is not shallow. It is not vain. That hope truly is something that God promises to actually deliver. I want to remind you this morning that you have access to a hope that will never be diminished. Psalms 146, verse number 5, says it this way. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Notice this. Happy is he whose hope is in the Lord. I could say it this way very simply. There is happiness in hope. There's happiness in hope. Do you find yourself a little bit today maybe struggling with happiness? It might be that you've lost your hope. One of the reasons why we as believers struggle with the joy of the Lord is because we, we lose our hope. We lose the foundation which that joy is built upon. There's happiness in hope. But I will say this. Our hope is only as strong as whatever we anchor it to. Now, I'm going to ask you for the next couple of moments to really zone in here for a second because I want to take some time and I I want to unpack this idea of hope in a way that will be highly practical and very functional. Uh, sometimes around Christmas times, you'll go to churches and we'll talk about hope and we'll talk about peace and we'll, we'll say these things. But at the end of the day, it, it can almost sound very shallow. It sounds like, you know, inspirational words, but they don't really have any deep meaning. And as I was praying and considering this passage, I, I want you as a church family to really be able to walk out these back doors with not just this idea of hope in your head, not just kind of flowery language, but I want you to be able to grasp onto something very concrete, very specific, and I want to try to maybe unpack a little bit how hope actually works in the life of a believer. Is it just happy talk? Is it just flowery language? Is it something that preachers are just supposed to talk about to make us feel good? How does hope actually work in the life of a Christian, in the life of a believer? All right? So let's start to unpack this. And I've got a couple things we're going to move through, so I think we're going to need to stay zoned in. We're going to have a couple things on the screen that I hope will kind of move us through this process. But let me ask, let's start with this. How have you, or what have you anchored your hope for happiness to? Let's start right there. Think about it for yourself. What have you anchored your hope for happiness to? I think, guys, you're getting ahead of me, but we'll we'll go back one, and then we'll get there in just a second, all right? What have you anchored your hope for happiness to, all right? And now let's just talk about it for a moment. Uh, For some of us, we anchor our hope for happiness uh, in more money. How many of us have done that? We think to ourselves, if I just had a little bit more money, uh, you know, then, then I'd be happy then I would have the hope for happiness. For others of us, maybe it's something along the lines of a promotion at work. We think to ourselves, man, if I could just get to the next rung on that ladder, uh, that's that's what you're putting your hope in for future happiness. Uh, For others individuals, it's a improved health. And so for you, in order for you to get this idea that you'll at some point have, you know, a hope for happiness, you, you want to see your health improved. For others, it's maybe a different job. And so you have anchored your hope for future happiness in a different job. Uh, for others in this room, it might be something like seeing your spouse change. 
you have anchored your hope for future happiness in your spouse changing. If he would just do this, if she would just do that, if, if, if he would just become this, if she would just become this, and we anchor our hope for future happiness, and we anchor that hope to our spouse changing. Uh, there might be some people in this room, and your hope for future happiness is anchored to a different spouse altogether. Like, like, you know, you've kind of given up that the spouse you have could at all work. And so your hope for future satisfaction, your hope for happiness in the future is anchored to just a, an entirely new spouse altogether. For other people, it's a need for maybe a better position in the church. You have anchored your hope for future happiness and becoming, having this position in the church or having that position in the church. And so you anchor your hope for future happiness to some position in the church. Uh, for others of you in this room, it might be a perfect family. You want to have an image of just having that perfect little family, you know, with the white picket fence around the house. And so that is your hope for future happiness and satisfaction. You've anchored your hope to that idea of a perfect family. Uh, maybe for some in here, it's a bigger house. Your hope for future satisfaction and happiness is, is based on having a bigger house. Or maybe we might say a nicer car. And we think to ourselves, if I just had a nicer car... And maybe for some, it's like a, a spotless reputation. If I could just have this perfect, pristine reputation, nobody gossiping about me, nobody you know, talking bad behind my mouth, just this perfect reputation, this perfect testimony, that is what you anchor your hope to for future happiness. Maybe for other people, it's a, a successful career. And you anchor your hope for happiness in your ability to have a very successful career. Now, the problem with any of those things that I just mentioned, the moment we anchor our hope to any of those things, all right, the reality is simply this, that none of those things that I mentioned, none of them are strong enough to fully support your hope and keep you happy, even if they were fulfilled. Even if it transpired the way you would want it to transpire, in and of itself, none of those things are strong enough to be the ultimate foundation for your future hope. Now, let me just say this. Experiencing Jesus personally is the only thing strong enough to fully support your hope for future joy and future happiness. Now, I make a statement like that, and if you're not kind of used to work, kind of being in the church world, you hear a statement like that and it confuses you. Like, what are you talking about? Experiencing Jesus is the only thing strong enough to support my hope for future joy and happiness. And for some of you, you're sitting here like you're confused. And others of you, you hear words like that and it just means nothing. It's just kind of happy talk. Like, it sounds flowery, it sounds like something a pastor's supposed to say, but it doesn't have any real deep meaning, and so let's, uh, bu- let's kind of unpack it a little. No, we'll go to the screens now, guys, all right? Number one, this is, this is how we'll do it. Here, here's why. Often, what we think we want is not what our soul actually craves, and let's, let's park it there for a moment. You think you want a more successful career. We think that we want more money in the bank, or we think we want a 401k that's a little bit more padded. We think we want a family that's a little bit more stable or a spouse that'll act or behave this way. And the reality is this, often what we think we want is not what our soul actually craves. And as you begin to move your way through the scriptures, you will find what the Bible teaches our soul actually craves on a deep level. 
You see, behind every material want, whether it's money, uh, whether it's opportunities, whether it's kind of resources, behind every material opportunity or every material want, there is usually a deeper soul craving. Now, think about it this for yourself. What is, the, what is it that you think you want the most right now? What physical, tangible, material thing is it that you've convinced yourself that you really want? Health. A better marriage. A nicer car, an easier life. What is the material, tangible, physical thing that you have convinced your heart that you want most? Now think about this. I, 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 we got to get interactive for this for just a moment or else we're not going to be able to follow the logical thought patterns here. Because oftentimes what we think we want is not what our soul actually craves. What is it? As you move through the scriptures, you'll find what our soul actually craves. Oftentimes what our soul actually craves is a greater sense of safety and security. And so on the one hand, we think we want a more padded 401k. We think we want more money in the bank. But the reality is what we actually want deep down, behind the material, tangible physical want, what the spirit actually craves, what the soul actually desires is a great sense of safety and security. And so we run about trying to fulfill that safety, that security. And the only way that we know how to do it is in, for some of us, I've got to, I got to get my savings account up. I got to get my 401 padded because in our human finite minds, it's the only thing that we can think of that will actually provide us a greater sense of safety and security. But at the end of the day, it's not necessarily the greater savings that you want or the 401k. What you really want is safety. You want to feel safe. You want to feel secure. Let's keep moving. As you read through the scriptures, you'll find another soul craving that our heart desires is a bigger sense of significance and importance. Deep down, we want to feel like we matter. We want to feel like our life really counts. We want to feel like, our, like, like what we're doing has purpose to it. What our soul actually craves is, number three, a heightened sense of success. We, we want to feel like our, our life has purpose, like there's meaning to it all. Now, there's a lot of ways in which we try to fulfill these with physical, tangible, material efforts. But what I'm trying to help you understand, what I'm trying to help you to discern is this. Oftentimes what we think we want is not actually what our soul craves. We think we want this, but our soul is actually craving something very different. It craves safety and security. It craves a sense of significance and importance. It craves a heightened sense of success. It, it, it craves a stronger sense of self-worth. We want to feel like our lives are validated. And so we want our parents to affirm us and we want our pastor to validate us and, and we want our coworkers to tell us and affirm our self-worth. And, and so we want everybody around us affirming us and validating us and, and kind of propping up our, our sense of self-worth. And, and this manifests itself in a lot of different ways because more often than not, when we have these soul cravings, we don't even know it. And so we look for material tangible physical things that we chase after in order to try to fill these needs let's keep moving oftentimes what we're looking for is a broader sense of superiority 
We, we want to be better at some things than other people. We want a deeper sense of satisfaction. We just want to be content. We just want to be fulfilled. And so we'll chase this. We'll crave that. We'll pursue those things. Because in our limited, finite thinking, we've convinced ourselves that these things out there can give us a deep sense of satisfaction when the Bible again and again and again says physical tangible, material things cannot ultimately satisfy the deepest cravings of your soul. These material, tangible, physical things were not created to fulfill the deep soul cravings of the heart. They have a purpose, but their purpose is not to fulfill and satisfy you on the deepest level. Some of us, here's what we're looking for, is a deep sense of ease and comfort we could keep moving. For others, the, deep, the soul craving is actually to fit in and to belong, to be affirmed and validated. Now, we went through a list, and, and there are more as we were to move exhaustively through the Scriptures, but for the most part, you and I are not conditioned, let's say it that way, to see the spiritual cravings of our soul. We live in a material world. We live in a physical world with tangible things. And and so all we know is, I want that nicer car. I want that bigger house. I want that promotion at work. I wish I had a spouse like that person had a spouse. I I wish I could get the promotion at work. I I wish those people would be my friends. I wish I could... Because all we know how to do is take the physical, tangible, material things, and we think it's those things that'll, that'll meet the deep cravings of our soul. And yet that's not what material, tangible, physical things were created for. Those things will never ultimately satisfy and bring you the deepest sense of contentment. They don't have the ability to do that. So, for example, if we were to move forward. So when we think, we mentioned this a moment ago, when we think I need more money for my 401k, I need more money in my savings for retirement. Often, what our soul is actually craving is a greater sense of security, a greater sense of safety. So when we think to ourselves, I need a promotion at work, I I need to get to that next rung on the ladder, often what our soul is actually craving is a greater sense of success and significance. We, We think we want the promotion when what we really want is to be validated. What our soul is actually craving is affirmation. And all we know to do in our finite thinking is to think, I, I, I must want a promotion. But I, 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 well, and you say, I'm not looking for the validation. I, just, I, need the more, I need more money. Because what we tend to think is if we have more money, then all of a sudden my life would be more <laughs> comfortable. That's a soul craving. What happens is, if we're not careful, we tend to look at the physical, the tangible, the material... And we try to pursue those things thinking that it will fulfill and bring satisfaction and contentment to our soul, but it can't. And that's the point of this. We pursue a thousand things smaller than Jesus to give us a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction that nothing but an abiding, experiential relationship with Jesus can provide to your soul. Sometimes we, we might think to ourselves, so when we think, I need, a, I need a nicer house, often what our soul actually craves is ease and comfort. When we think, I need a nicer car, 
often what our soul actually craves is a greater sense of admiration and importance in the eyes of others. And that's why, I mean, four wheels, whether you spend 8000 for it or 80000 for it, basically gets you to the same place. So why, why do we do it? It's not that we actually need a $50,000 car. But you see, our soul craves things. And so oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes in our attempts to satisfy and fulfill the deep soul cravings, all we know to do in our finite thinking is to pursue some tangible, physical, external, material thing with the hope that it will satisfy. So when we think, oh, I need my, cha- my spouse to change, I need a new spouse, often what our soul actually craves is somebody in our life who will affirm us, who will validate us, who will bolster our self-worth. Now, I'm going to put this on the screen. Uh, since the physical desires itself is not what your soul actually craves. Now, I'm not saying there's, you, you don't actually, what, I, what I'm saying is the physical desire itself is not often what our soul actually craves. The fulfillment of that material desire will only leave you wanting more. And this is why when you get that thing that you thought you wanted, there's something else you want. And when you were 16, you thought, if I could just get this. When you were 19, you thought, if I could just make this much money. And then when you were 25, if I could just get this promotion. And those things happen, but then there's always something else you wanted. All that's revealing to the heart is those things are not actually what you wanted in the first place. You just didn't know how else to navigate those feelings. It wasn't the physical, tangible, material things that you wanted in the first place. You wanted something on a deep soul level. Your soul had cravings that you did not know how to speak about or even know how to articulate. And so to the best your finite mind could do, you pursue physical, tangible, material things in the hopes that it will ultimately satisfy. But here's the reality. They never do. Which leads us here to our second thought. Not only here did we see, often what we think we want is not what our soul actually craves. But notice next, don't you see this? Continually experiencing God is the only thing that can ultimately satisfy our deepest soul cravings. All right? Continually experience God is the only thing that can ultimately satisfy our deepest soul cravings. What are the soul cravings? My need for affirmation. My need to belong. These are real desires that God placed within you. These are not wrong things. It's not wrong to seek affirmation. The question is, where are you seeking it from? It's not wrong to seek satisfaction. God put that soul craving inside of you. The question happens is, how do you go about trying to fulfill that deep soul craving? Continually experiencing God is the only thing that can ultimately satisfy. So if you're young in here, you might be able to convince yourself, if I, if I could just get married, that is what will ultimately satisfy me. 
And then some of you have gotten married and you're thankful for it and it's a blessing, but those of us who are married, you realize it's not an ultimate thing. It's a blessing. It's an awesome thing. It's a blessing from God, but it is not an ultimate satisfaction. It's not an ultimate thing. It was easy to think, if I could get just to get this job, if I could just make this much money, and some of you have gotten there. You've seen those goals accomplished. You've been able to raise, you know, save that much money or get this much in your 401k and praise God for it. What a blessing that is. But those of you who have achieved those goals realize it's not an ultimate thing. It doesn't ultimately satisfy You see, because what your heart and soul actually craves is something much deeper that no physical, material, tangible, exterior thing experienced will ultimately satisfy. Only continually experiencing God can ultimately satisfy the deepest cravings of our heart. So how does this work? A deep sense of security is not necessarily found in a 401k. It just isn't. I've met lots of people who have a very well-padded 401k and lots of money in the bank who do not feel safe and who who do not feel secure about their financial future because it is not an ultimate thing that satisfies the deep soul cravings of your heart. Money doesn't have the capacity to do that. Money's a blessing. It can do a lot of wonderful things. But satisfy the deep soul cravings of your heart is not one of the things money is designed to do. A deep sense of security is not found in a 401k or a bigger savings account. It's found in simply believing the promises of God. By going to his word and saying, God, this is what you promise, I trust you. That is what brings, that's what fulfills the deep soul cravings of the heart for, satis- for, for security and safety. No amount of money, no amount of 401k padding, but a deep belief in the promises of God is all that will ultimately satisfy the deep soul craving for security and safety. Jesus, God, is all that ultimately satisfies You see, let's keep moving on. A great sense of significance is not necessarily found in getting that promotion at work or, or, you know, making it to the next rung on the ladder. Rather, it's a a sense of significance, a a true sense of self-worth is found in simply knowing your true identity in Christ and who he declares you to be. You want to feel significant? You're never going to get it from your spouse. You'll never get, I'll say it this way, you'll never get its ultimate fulfillment from your spouse. You'll never get the ultimate fulfillment for for a sense of significance and self-worth. You'll never get it from a child. And I've met a lot of mothers who, who go to incredible lengths to try to secure from their children a sense of worth and validation and affirmation. The child is a wonderful blessing but they are not designed to be that which gives you your ultimate sense of significance and importance and self-worth. They were not created and designed to accomplish that. 
only believing and understanding your true identity and who God declares you to be, that is the only thing that can ultimately fulfill that need for self-worth. Not what do the people down the pew think of me, not what my coworkers, not what my kids, not what my parents, not what my pastor. The only thing that will ultimately satisfy that deep soul craving is believing what God says about who you are. That and that alone is all that will ultimately satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. For others of us, an ongoing sense of satisfaction, it's not necessarily found in nicer things. Well, if I just get a nicer car, if I get nicer furniture, if I can get some nicer electronic gadgets, if I can get these nicer things, then I will, I'll, get, I'll be satisfied. Now, you haven't had to be living very long on planet Earth to realize that there is no material possession that ultimately satisfies. And so, therefore, there's no amount of money that you can make that will buy you something that can ultimately satisfy because money and material possessions, while they're a wonderful blessing, and they do have a place in the world in which we live, and they're a great thing when God's blessing you with them, the reality is they, are, were, they were not designed to ultimately fulfill the deep soul cravings that your heart has for contentment and fulfillment. It's not what they were designed for. You say, what brings ultimate satisfaction? Honestly, simply focusing and remembering the promises of God and blessings of God on your life by replaying his blessings again and again and again, by remembering all the good that God has done for you and all the good he promises to do in the days ahead, that is where satisfaction is truly found. But as long as your heart, as long as your life pursues a thousand things smaller than Jesus to give you a hope for future happiness, you're always going to be left disappointed because none of these things can ultimately satisfy My friends, a strong sense of self-worth is not necessarily found in everyone treating us right. Because I know your soul desires, you want to be validated. You want people to affirm you. You want to feel like your life has purpose and matters. But I'm just going to say this. The fulfillment of that is not found in people treating you right. The reality is this. Everybody in the world could treat you the way you wanted to be treated and you still would not ultimately feel validated. You still would not ultimately feel affirmed. You still would have this nagging thing in the back of your head. Why do I still feel worthless? You can read the biographies, the autobiographies, the exposés of celebrities who have affirmation and celebrity status and money, and everything in the material, tangible world that can be offered to them, and yet they still don't feel worthy. Because none of those things, the the great blessing that they are, money is a blessing, things are a blessing, they're great, praise God for them, but they are not ultimate things that can give you, they're, they're not strong enough to be the foundation for your ultimate hope in life. So here's two questions I want us to ponder as we kind of wrestle through this. Number one, what is the actual spiritual craving behind my physical desires? The Bible says this, with food and with raiment, we can be what? 
Content. Let's say it one more time. With food and raiment, we can be what? Content. Therefore, according to God, your creator, the one who designed your life, he said if you had breakfast this morning and you walked in with some clothes on, you have everything that you need to be content. There's no other physical, tangible, material thing that you need in order for your soul to be at peace. So if your soul isn't at peace, if you, if you find yourself having physical desires or this thing or that thing or those things or these things, then you must begin to have the spiritual wherewithal to begin to ask yourself, what is the actual spiritual craving behind this physical desire? Am I wanting to be validated? And the only way I know how to find validation and affirmation is through this physical, tangible expression. And so you're pursuing it like a frantic maniac because you've convinced yourself that if this person would like you, if those people would treat you right, if that spouse would do what you wanted them to do, then you could finally be satisfied and your soul cravings could be, you know, fulfilled. What is the actual spiritual craving behind your physical desire? This is, this is really important for us to get our head around. Or else you will spend the rest of your life chasing things that can't ultimately satisfy. Like a hamster and a little spinning wheel going round and round and round and getting nowhere. What is the actual spiritual craving? As you grow in spiritual maturity, your ability to answer this question will grow. If you're sitting here right now and you're like, I don't know. What's the actual spiritual craving behind my physical desire? I don't know. I'm just telling you this, being able to answer this question and say, maybe I think I want a boat, but maybe what I actually want is everybody to think I'm awesome. I want the affirmation and validation of my coworkers. I, I want a bigger house. I want cooler gadgets. And, and maybe the actual soul craving behind that is you want a more comfortable, easy life. What's the actual deep soul craving? Question number one. Here's question number two. How can I experience God in a way that fulfills these deeper spiritual cravings? What aspect of God do I need to, do I need to experience? So to, to, to see the satisfaction and the fulfillment of these spiritual cravings. I'm, I'm going to tell you this. The believer who can move through those two questions effectively will be light years ahead of Christians who are just like, I don't even know what you're talking about. We as human beings, we were designed to crave. We were. But most of us, even believers, spend our whole lives chasing things that just don't matter. And it's not that houses don't matter. It's not that a car doesn't matter. And it's not like a 401k doesn't matter. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. What I am saying is this. That is not actually what your soul, that's not what's actually driving you. Your soul cravings are driving you. 
that, that need for significance, that need for affirmation, that need for acceptance, that need that you have to be affirmed and to be validated, those are the deep soul cravings, and God gave you those soul cravings. Hope is not this flowery word that's supposed to inspire us when we go to church and make us feel all warm and fuzzy, and then we walk out, and we're like, what does that even mean? I'm here to say this. Hope is not just abstract concepts. It's not just religious ideology. Hope is a person. Hope is real, hope is living, and his name is Jesus. And when you experience the affirmation that only Jesus can give you, and you experience here the validation that only Jesus can give you, and you experience the identity that only Jesus can give you, and you experience the satisfaction that is yours in him because you realize he is the God of all comfort, and you can chase a thousand comforts smaller than Jesus, but none of them will ultimately satisfy the deepest longings of your heart, you would begin to realize how this whole Christian life thing actually works. When you become satisfied with Jesus, living the way that you're supposed to live is automatic, natural. It is the outflow that automatically happens with a person who is satisfied in Christ. Wait a second, I thought Christianity was all about doing good and acting this way and following these rules and doing that. No, those, those, that's just the ramifications of it. That's just what happens when we get totally satisfied with Jesus. When you are so satisfied with his promises, so satisfied with his blessings, so satisfied by what he offers, all the other things just happen. They flow from a life that is fully content in Jesus. We'll throw this on the screen and then we'll be done. Hope is not believing that all my circumstances will turn out okay. Hope is the belief that with Jesus, I will be okay regardless of the circumstances. Regardless of how my marriage goes down. Regardless of how my kids turn out. Regardless of how retirement goes. Regardless of whether or not I get a position in church. Regardless of how my, you know, savings account grows or diminishes. Regardless of how life circumstances turn out. Hope is the confidence that with Jesus, we're going to be okay. And that's our hope. What do we need this Christmas? When people are running around looking at this, thing, not that these things are bad, traditions and decorations and gifts and possessions. You know what our heart actually desires? It desires the thrill of hope. to be thrilled once again with the person of hope. To experience hope, not as an abstract concept, but to experience hope as a living, breathing being named Jesus. In that, you'll find your hope for all the future happiness that you'll ever need. And that is the only thing strong enough to bolster your hope for future happiness in the days ahead. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.